On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. Last time, Mike, we were in Nazareth itself. We were exploring Jesus's childhood and what that meant to be part of that family. But as he grew up, um, he had a trade. And I guess that's why we've come to this place outside of Nazareth. How far away from Nazareth are we? We're about five miles, four or five miles, something like that, if you are going to walk it. And uh, we've come to a place, David, that's actually not even mentioned in the New Testament Yet one that we know would have been really significant and that almost certainly Jesus and his father Joseph would have worked here. So Nazareth is in the distance. We seem to be on something of a hilltop because the view all around, 360 degrees, is is quite phenomenal. So, So where are we? Yeah, absolutely. We've come to a place that in New Testament times was called Sepphoris. Today it's called Sipuri. And it was a place that became very significant because of, well, really four things. Um, There was a good supply of water here. Actually, there's a great reservoir and an aqueduct eventually that would bring water into the city. There was water. The main roads went nearby, and so you could both use that for trade but also keep your eye on what's happening. It was great for defence because, as you said, we're perched up on a hill at the moment, And as you look around, you see green, 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 all sorts of things growing. I mean, even the cactus around here are fruitful and are edible. And so this was a a really great place to be located. But it wasn't, it didn't really start to get developed until the Greek period in the fourth century and, and began to grow from then onwards. But in contrast to Nazareth, where Jesus was growing up, I mean, how did Sepphoris, as it is known, compare <laughs> Remember, one of the things we said about Nazareth is was it was a real backwater, a little village, a couple of hundred people, a nowhere place with nowhere people, as far as most were concerned. This was definitely the buzzing regional capital where all the stuff happened, where all the uh, the right people lived and did the right things. And so on. And it it became the capital after the death of Herod the Great, really. Herod himself made it a sort of administrative capital of of the area of Galilee. After his death in 4 BC, his son took over. It was taken over by Jewish rebels, but eventually they were conquered by the Roman general called Varus. And Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's son, eventually then chose this after that to become the capital of his government. And really, during the time of Jesus, he was rebuilding it and fortifying it. So it was becoming a sort of buzzing place of activity and therefore a great place where Jesus and his father would be able to find work as the city was very much growing and developing. Do you know what? This would have been a great place to buy property around the time of Jesus because it was was on the up. And it's a bit like when people buy a home on the edge of a city because it's just starting to come up and they know their property is going to go up in value soon. Well, Sepphoris was very much like that. It was the buzzing regional capital where 
the right people lived and did the right things and it was the place to be seen and where great houses were built and so on. You said where Jesus and his father did some work. I mean, we think of Jesus as a carpenter. Yeah, we actually made uh, reference to this in uh, an earlier episode, didn't we? Luke describes Jesus in his gospel as a tectone, that's the Greek word, and traditionally that's been translated as carpenter. Uh, But as I've said before, it's not really carpenter in the sense of someone who only works with wood. Really, a tectone was what we would call these days a builder. Uh, You know, he's the guy you would ring locally if you wanted perhaps a new bathroom fitting these days or a small extension putting on the the one or two man type small building company in America. You'd say he was in construction and really a tectone was a craftsman who worked in both wood and stone. So Jesus would have been trained by his father in that trade as he grew up to not only handle wood, but also to carve stone, to cut stone. And that's why scholars are pretty sure they would have worked in this place because it was a developing city and there was just loads of work. And it was, what, about an hour's walk from where they lived. And it would have been a source of really good income they would have found it quite hard in a village of a couple of hundred people really to make anything decent of a living. And so we're pretty sure that while we've got no evidence of it, it's extremely likely that they used to come to where we are now to carry out their business. Because this was the big centre. This was the nearest next big place, the next town or city uh, equivalent that, that we think of today. And the thing that also just strikes me is we've talked before about how Jesus was born essentially into quite a poor family, quite mm. a poor household. But here yeah. he would have been mixing with people with a lot of money. Absolutely. You know, as you and I have just been walking around this site, it's been amazing to see the amount of wealth that there was here at the top of the hill were homes that were originally the very much the jewish part of the town but even as you go up there you find fabulous homes there are lots of uh, mikvot ritual baths within the homes to have your own internal bath system for ritual washing immediately points out that they were wealthy we find Uh, mosaic floors over the place so it was definitely an up-and-coming place Romans started to move in after 63 BC when the Roman general Pompey conquered this area as well and so there was a mix of the Jews there some Romans starting to come in and if we turn the other way to the opposite direction of the hill down there uh, in front of us we can see the Roman Cardo, the main street down which all the shops would have been, and we can still see the ruins of where those shops were. Straight as a die, isn't it? It, Absolutely straight. And, of course, if you notice, David, crossed by another road left to right. So one ran north to south, the Cardo, and the other one ran east to west. And that would have been the bustling city. Now, not all of that was there in the time of Jesus, but what it gives us is a sense of the up-and-coming city that this was. Jesus talked quite a bit about money, didn't he, as he grew up? So he he had a a grasp of money and wealth as well as poverty. Yes, um, he certainly understood it and um, he didn't despise it. 
but nor did it attract and control him. So, you know, he could come to a place like this, as you said, he and his family were pretty poor, and yet they worked here among the rich. And he could handle that. You know, some of us can't. We just get very jealous, don't we, and envious of why did they get that pay rise? Why have they got a new car? They've just moved into a new house. And there's, there's something in human nature that can get very jealous when we see people who are doing better than us. And yet the funny thing is Jesus probably came here, you know, day after day after day as he was growing up, working here alongside his dad, working for wealthy people, you know, putting in things that they could not have afforded themselves perhaps and yeah that was okay that was just part of his job part of his trade and it didn't detract him from the purpose for which god had sent him and because he sort of understood building as you said it wasn't just carpentry did he weave that into his into his teaching oh yes you see the more we understand about jesus's background the more we can see where he got a lot of his illustrations from um perhaps one of the clearest examples is at the end of the uh, the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 6 and 7 and there's uh, there's a well-known parable that really anyone with any insight into the building trade would have understood i'll, I'll just read it to you uh, in matthew 7 verse 24 jesus says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock so Jesus understood the importance of building on foundations and not just sticking it on top of the, the surface soil. And there's plenty of rock around here. You know, we're surrounded oh, by solid rock. Yeah, I mean, just look all around us. There's rock, isn't there, just lying all over the place. And the soil in this part of the world is, I mean, there's good growing soil, but also it can often be very shallow. So you really did need to, to dig deep into a rock, which is what he calls for here. Goes on, of course, in that well-known parable, to say that the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, they were all amazed. So um, there's a little insight into the very fact that he almost certainly knew a bit about the building trade. And we find it coming out in, in parables like that. And there's humour there. I mean, he's, he's exaggerating oh, to make a point. Absolutely. And in fact, he will do this many times. I mean, some of Jesus's parables, the trouble is we've made them so religious, haven't we? And they're read in religious voices uh, in church services very often. But, you know, the parables of how stupid to build a house on a sand where the river's going to come up without a foundation. How silly to walk around. Here's the carpenter bit coming out in the sense of the woodworker. How silly to walk around with a plank sticking out of your eye you walk into a plank oh and you're walking around with this plank uh, and then you come over to someone and say excuse me david i think there's a little speck of wood in your eye <laughs> thinking there of the pharisees who were nitpicking for others and yet walked around with obvious faults in their own life so again and again we see these images coming from 
his trade, from his background, and yes, some of them at times really very funny and would have had his listeners splitting their sides, I'm sure. And I guess if the people of his day knew that he wasn't just a carpenter, but that he was like a local builder or had been, would there have been some sort of respect as he shared that story? Well, he certainly knew what he was talking about, didn't they? Um, I suppose it's like when preachers today give stories from their own life or their, what they used to do in life or something like that. People think, oh, yeah, he knows what he's talking about rather than oh, which book has he read this week. And I'm sure they thought that the same with Jesus. The, the, the job that he had, I mean, we, we don't know very much about it, obviously, and we are working on the basis that he, he learned his trade from his father. That's what the Bible tells us. Yeah. And Joseph himself disappears off the scene in terms of the Bible references, doesn't he? Yeah. So we don't know, I guess, how long Jesus carried on being this local builder. No, we don't, is the short answer. It seems fairly likely that his father Joseph died sometime after he was the age of 12. When Jesus is 12 on that visit to Jerusalem for Passover that Luke tells us about, that's the last mention that we get of Joseph. There's no mention of him again. So most scholars think that Joseph probably died while Jesus was young and that Jesus, therefore, as the eldest son, because as we've said before, the Gospels tell us that he had brothers and sisters, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus was born, born in a natural way now. And it looks like Jesus kept on running the family business to support the family until those siblings were grown up and old enough to take their responsibility. And I think that says an awful lot for the value that Jesus puts on family and fulfilling your responsibilities to family life and seeing them as part of a God-given task, not an interference with ministry. You know what? Your first ministry is in your home. It's to your parents, it's to your children, it's to your husband, it's to your wife, it's to your family. And if we can't be good ministers and demonstrate what God's love means and what it looks like in our home, then frankly, we've got no right to be trying to tell people how to live their lives beyond that. So I think Jesus was very much keeping up that family tradition until such a time that his siblings were old enough to take responsibility for the family. And it seems like that's the point when he's released by his heavenly father to begin the prophetic and teaching and healing ministry for which he came. But I find it fascinating that he did not despise these early hidden years. They were as much a part of his service to God as when he started going around teaching. And I think it's really important. We're thinking of Jesus then and now. It's really important for us to remember, you know, that the blessing of Jesus is not just on our ministry when we are preaching or teaching the Sunday school or leading the youth work or evangelizing, but it can be on the ordinary things of life, like our work and how we're bringing up our family. And as you said, because he would have supported his mother and his brothers and sisters certainly for a period after joseph had died whenever that was he quite likely could have been backwards and forwards from nazareth four miles away from here here to sepphoris continuing in that trade and kind of maybe proving that hard work doesn't do you any harm 
Yes, absolutely. You know, it would have taken, what, a good hour or so to walk from there to here twice a day. No Uber that he could call, uh, no donkey that he could borrow. He used to walk everywhere. So he is showing us the godly value of hard work, something that Paul picks up in one of his letters. You know, in Thessalonians, there were some of the Christians in Thessaloniki who, who had given up work for the apparently good spiritual reason that they were really convinced that Jesus was coming back very soon and that therefore all they ought to do was to give themselves to prayer and evangelism, which sounds so godly and spiritual, doesn't it? But Paul actually tackles the issue um, and he ends up challenging them to get back to their work and even says, you know, if anyone won't work, let him not eat. Now, that is not a comment about those who are poor and who can't work and it doesn't absolve us from responsibility of care for those who are in straitened circumstances. In context, it's a challenge to those who could well work and who refuse to and who were giving spiritual reasons. You know, it still happens today. I, I can remember as a pastor in my church in Oxford that I used to lead before retirement, um, a guy coming to our church, he'd been out of work for years, and one of the things we tried to get him to do, he, he had ended up homeless, and so we helped him with all that sort of stuff. And we wanted to try and get him back into work because there is dignity in work. You know, work is not a result of the curse and the fall. God gave work to Adam as his gift in the garden. God made a beautiful garden and then said to Adam, now work it until it. So work is not a dirty word. It's not unspiritual. But this guy, when we tried to get him back into doing some work, found all sorts of excuses. And it basically came down to, I am you know, too busy doing the Lord's work and sharing the gospel to be bothered to go out and find a job. Of course, he was very happy for the rest of us to go out and find a job and subsidise him. And it's that sort of attitude that Paul is challenging. And that sort of attitude, I think, that Jesus is belying here by these years of slogging away. You know, and let's face it, building and woodwork it can be hard work at times you're lifting heavy planks you're lifting heavy stones i'm sure he must have had you know nicks on his hands and grazers on his hands at times and aching backs and pulled muscles because he was truly human just like us and yet he gave himself to that gladly really believing this was god's calling on his life for that season of his life I understand you've not been here before to this particular place, Sepphoris. Um, what has most impressed you? I mean, some people would come and think, well, it's just a, a pile of ruins. But, <laughs> but, but, but what, what, what does it speak to you? About? Yeah, this is my um, first visit here. You're right, David. I've been to Israel many times now, but I've managed to miss this out always. And so it's been great to come today. I think what stands out to me is, is the extent of the site. I mean, as we sit looking here both to right and to left, you know, to our, our right is that hill, that mound, the tell that was the original part of the city to our left, spreading out where that Roman city spread. And as I've said, it was developing at the time of Jesus, so not all of that Roman stuff was here then. It was starting to develop. And I think, wow, this, this was a hipster place to be, you know. This was a cool 
place to be. All the right people were seen here. Interesting, the right people from the Jewish community were seen here because it became quite a centre for Jewish rabbis. Eventually, the Jewish Sanhedrin, that body of 70 scholars that ruled Israel, would have a base here. And it would be here in Sepphoris that eventually what's called the Mishnah, some of the commentary and explanation of the Jewish law in the Old Testament would be written up here by a leading rabbi. So, you know, you've, you've, you've got the sort of the, the cool Jewish community, but you've also got the cool Roman community as well. And mixture here, it was a, it was clearly a, a hipster, cool place to be. And yet Jesus, happy to come and serve here in it, but not be attracted by it. Interestingly, I mentioned right at the beginning that there's no mention of this place in the Gospels. So as far as we can tell, Jesus didn't come back here to preach. Now, why was that? Especially a big city like this. Absolutely. You would have thought this could have been quite key. Come here. You'll really get your message out. But it seems pretty clear when we read the Gospels, Jesus had a bias towards the poor and needy and towards the small and insignificant. And I think it's almost like, yeah, you lot, you know you've got it all. And what's the point of coming here? Because you've got everything, haven't you? I'm sure, you know, in God's heart, he's, he never writes anyone off. But Jesus clearly had to prioritise where he did. And I suspect as we look at these ruins and as we think about the size and extent of this place, how it was growing, how hipster and how cool and how developing it was for both Jew and Roman, it was like Jesus was thinking, yeah, you've got it all, you don't need anything else, do you? I suppose if I can be really cheeky, a bit like perhaps sometimes, you know, in some of our churches we know, we aren't going to get a lot of fruit in certain parts of town because they've got high gates and long drives and big trees and they've got everything and we're going to get turned away. But it's often in the poorer parts of our town. Those who know they've nothing blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And I think these folk here knew, or at least thought they knew, that they were very rich and needed nothing. Where we are geographically, you know, with this amazing view, panoramic view all the way around, um, I'm just thinking of that phrase of Jesus, or the story told, a city on a hill. Yeah, he was probably thinking of actually one of the cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee at that point. But nonetheless, you know, I think this is, this is great. It, a lot of this area is, is built up now, the overspill from Nazareth. But in the time of Jesus, yeah, there would have been lots of little communities all around here, probably small villages more than anything. And any that was on top of a hill would have absolutely been able to be seen. And uh, Jesus says, that's what I want you to be like, not hidden away, but clear and able to be seen in the world in which I've put you. It's an interesting contrast, the way Jesus spoke, the way Jesus taught, between parables that were somewhat mysterious and that other times speaking it really straight it is isn't it and i think very often it depended who he was talking to and the purpose for which he was talking in matthew 13 when he's teaching some of his parables his disciples come and say lord why do you speak to them in parables and jesus said 
so that they don't understand, <laughs> which is <laughs> the very opposite of what we often think parables are. But other times, plain as the nose on your face, really easy to understand. So is this place going to become uh, a regular for you in the future? Uh, I mean, for archaeologists, it must be a dream. Absolutely. It's a dream for me as well, with my background of loving Bible research and so on. This is a great place to come, and it will definitely go on the shortlist of uh, places to to come in the future. Because I think what it does coming here is it enables us to stop and think about a number of things. I think it enables us to think again about the workplace. And I know we've touched on this uh, in a previous episode when we were thinking about uh, Jesus's early years and learning his trade with his father in that workshop. But coming here helps us to think about, you know, Jesus must have come here so many times and work is a thing of dignity. Now, let's face it, all of us have those times when we think, oh, no, I've got to go into work again. You know, even you and me, we all have those odd days, don't we? But God has given dignity to work. He gave it as his gift to Adam. And it, if any of our listeners have come to a place where they've almost resented work, I'd say, for goodness sake, get back to God. Remember Jesus worked. Remember Jesus had a trade and a skill and God can be in the workplace not just as like oh here's an opportunity to witness that's wonderful praise God and please witness but as an opportunity to do something with your hands whatever it might be that God has given you to do what whatever your skill um you know God is a God of creativity I often think back to the story of the construction of the tabernacle in the old testament and bezalel and aholiab god says i have filled them with my spirit to be skilled in design for all sorts of craftsmanship what filled with the holy spirit to to design embroidery and working gold absolutely and that's still possible today so coming here for me today and hopefully in future i think is just an opportunity to think of the dignity of work the creativity that work allows us to be. I know not all of our listeners will have jobs they see as creative. Sometimes work can feel very mundane, particularly if you're on a line in a factory doing the same thing. But, you know, every action you do, you can infuse that with a blessing from God. So there is the opportunity to work hard, to be creative. And I think coming here is it's just a lovely opportunity to do that. I think the other thing, David, I would say in coming here as well is this city is a place of mixture. And we'll think about that in a future episode when we go and visit Beit Shan. But perhaps just to give a little foretaste here, they tried to mix Jewish culture and Roman culture. And it's interesting that in some of the homes, there's a beautiful synagogue here that dates from just after the time of Jesus. But as you and I walked around it just now, its floor has the most beautiful mosaics. But right in the center of this synagogue is a zodiac sign. Hmm. What on earth is a zodiac sign doing in a synagogue? Well, it's because God's people started to like the world a bit too much in the sense of the wrong things of the world and started to bring in their designs and wanted to impress people in the world. Look at what we've got. So for me, this is a great place for thinking about work, creativity, the dignity of work, but also a challenge 
they say just be careful that you know the world that let's face it can be a very attractive place at times with its values and what it offers doesn't end up stealing our hearts away from wholeheartedness to the living God. Now I know you said the Cardo as it's known, this Roman road that we can see just down below us, a straight stretch of pavement with sort of ruined pillars either side that would have been representing where the sort of equivalent of shops would have been. Absolutely, yeah. In other words, that would have been the high street, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that would have been the high street. Now that particular road wasn't there in the time of Jesus, but it it was starting to develop. So all of this was starting to come. And it's just prompted me to think of the relevance of Jesus in the high street. Ha. Huh. Yeah, absolutely. And this whole thing we've talked about Jesus, you know, giving those first years of his life to being a workman. You know, in effect, his workshop was on the high street. He was there engaged. And obviously by high street, we don't necessarily literally mean the high street in our town many of which are getting abandoned aren't they but it's what it symbolizes it's it's christians being right there in the center of community in the center of society refusing to be pushed to the edge you know more and more these days the culture in which we live in the west is wanting to marginalize christians push them to the edge saying keep your religion private keep it out you know you can believe what you like but keep it private and the values that have undergirded our Western society for so long are being pushed to the edge. And it's time for us as Christians to prayerfully seek strategy from God for how we can come right back into the centre of the marketplace, right back into the centre of the Cardo, right back into the centre of this community here, and sort of put a stake in the ground for God and for his kingdom. And you know what? If we will seek him for wise ways of doing that, then I'm sure he will give it to us. Well, do pray for us. Lord Jesus, in this place where you worked hard and laboured, carried heavy beams and lifted heavy stones, we thank you for the way that that shows us you bless work and the workplace it is not outside of your purposes and the kingdom of god help us to redeem our work and our workplace and help us to be ready as we seek you and with wisdom to be ready to take your message of the kingdom into not just the workplace but the high street our communities because we know lord that you have the words of eternal life you have what everyone is looking for and we want to be your servants who give ourselves to that so help us please in your name we pray amen amen mike beaumont and david taverner in the holy land tracing the life of jesus then and now Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs or Bible surprises. Bible surprises.